Can't get enough of the Let's Go Eat show? Do you want access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, exclusive videos, exclusive blogs, and the exclusive Make Mine a Double t-shirt? Did I mention they're exclusive? That means you can't get them anywhere else but Patreon.com. One or all of these things can be yours for about the cost of a double shot of Old Forester bourbon. Please go to Patreon.com or download the Patreon app and search for Let's Go Eat Show. It's super easy and will help us continue to make the Let's Go Eat Show for years to come. That's Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com slash Let's Go Eat Show. Thank you. On this episode of the Let's Go Eat Show, I talk to a man who's been in my life on the edges of it for longer than I knew. In and out, here and there, I've had contact with Lee George Cade and sometimes not even realized it. You'll find out all about that on the Let's Go Eat Show, and you'll find out how Lee George Cade has become one of the empresarios of vegan food in Salt Lake City and perhaps up in Canada. You know... America's hat. Lee George Cade, he's a fascinating conversationalist. He's got a lot of stories to tell, and he makes damn good vegan jerky. You'll hear all about it on this episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. Uh, oh, I should remind you before we go, uh, please, if you would, go to patreon.com and find more about the Let's Go Eat Show. Just, 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 they'll have a search thing there. Just put in the Let's Go Eat Show. Uh, we'd like you to join it. We make a little extra coin with that, and it helps us out greatly. Also, if you'd like to, go to iTunes and give us a good rating there. And uh, enjoy the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, Lee George Cade, our guest on the Let's Go Eat show. and uh, I think you first came into my consciousness. Do you know when I, you first came into my consciousness? 1988. Well, was it that? <laughs> Really? Take that, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say January 15th, 1988. You, you know more about it than I do then. Maybe. Perhaps. So, so the first time I remember you coming into my consciousness was uh, something called It's Time for Cake. Yeah. Yeah, It's Time for Cake with Lee George Cade. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I played you. Yeah. Lee George Cade. And I don't know if... I, I probably had met you. A few times. But I just... I didn't really know who you were. Yeah. I was just a friend of Carrie's. I was just one of those dumb geeks. Yeah, you yeah. were just a geek, one of the geeks that Carrie hung around right. with. Right, And I, you know, which I, I don't... I didn't dislike. I just... Yeah. I don't... I still don't have... I have a little more truck with the geek world now mm. than I used to. No, you've, you've got your, your geek legs now. Yeah, yeah. I just... You know, I just... I, I, I'm a little more into it, but not... I'm a dabbler. I'm a geek dabbler. <laughs> really. Put your toes in the geek you know, water. I, I mean, that's really true. I read my first, uh, really read my first graphic novels. I tried to read The, uh, the Watchmen, uh, mm. and I didn't, I didn't get into it very much, and I didn't finish it. Yeah. But then I watched uh, Preacher yeah. on, t on the TV, and I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. And I and I've read, and I got all of those. So. And, and so what's your take on the graphic novel versus the TV show? Uh, it, well, it's, to me, the TV show, uh, Preacher, uh, by the way, Lee George Cade is a regular panelist on the Geek Show, uh, geekshowpodcast.com. Yes, thank you. Um, so my take on the uh, TV show, after having read the graphic novels, and you could give me a little more of this if you would, please, Dylan, in my ear, can you do that? Uh, yeah, that's good, that's really good. Uh, so my take on the TV show, Preacher, is that it is like, an impressionist painter mm -hmm. will look at something and then do it on canvas 
and it may not uh, it's meant to evoke mm-hmm. what the painter sees is that a good I, so I, it's I, an impressionist that that may be look. one of the best analogies i've heard because it's the the tv show versus the graphic novel uh, preacher in particular is kind of a revered holy cow of geekdom right yeah. so a lot of people felt the liberties the show took were uh, almost sacrilegious for lack of better words can you explain to me i don't know mm-hmm. if i've ever really asked carrie this question i i probably have but i'll let's get your take on it mm-hmm. why is why is the geek world so fucking divisive about that kind of thing <laughs> you know oh this is sacred you oh, can't yeah, yeah what the fuck man well and you get you know you, you mentioned Watchmen a few minutes ago yeah. and uh Zach's, which i've gone back and read now and sure watched. and and as as a political parable it's it's unmatched i mean just just looking at the uh uh the perils of of political um political savagery run wild it's it's all there and it's all laid out for us yeah. and i think it's actually almost like a a warning blueprint for us mm-hmm. uh when i first read it when i was 17 it was just a you know it was just a comic book with some stupid superheroes in it and i didn't get it now i read it and it's like wow this is really really uh amazing stuff yeah i, I think i mean it is i think because and I, i've kind of touched on this a few times a lot of us that grew up it's very mainstream now a lot of us that grew up in the 60s and 70s um if you if you read x-men comics and he didn't play football. Mm-hmm. You were kind of marginal. We'll kick your ass, man. Yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. were you were kind of a peripheral being, mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of us latched onto these things, and we did not learn how to adapt and roll with adaptation. That now I think you're onto something here. Mm-hmm. But we get that with a lot of people with with anything that they're fans of. I mean, yeah. you hear you hear a football fan screaming about uh, screaming about their favorite quarterback on their favorite team, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't say that about yeah. about uh, Tom Brady. You, <laughs> how do you? How dare you say that about Tom Brady? Yeah, how it, many it, bar fights a night? Oh, you go back to the old Saturday Night Live uh, super fans thing with uh, mm-hmm. with George Went. You know, with them arguing about Ditka for hours, and then but it all <laughs> yeah, comes Ditka. down to they love the Bears. Ditka the Bears. Yeah. yeah. So I look at the last Star Wars movie in particular. I mean, this movie was was breathtaking uh, in its scope and very metaphysically um, complex. And uh, I, I studied religion and philosophy my entire life, and so I'm watching this this grand Buddhist parable playing out for two hours. Uh, it's got laser swords and <laughs> and spaceships, <laughs> but there's a lot going on there. And sure. the reception from the geek community was, yeah, I, I wasn't treated properly. Come on. You, you got a seat at the table. We've got a really vast buffet table for geekdom right now. Sure Instead, do. they're complaining about the assortment. Yeah. So. It, uh, d- uh, but I'm trying to think if I'm that. I don't think I have any. Dylan, who knows me better than a lot of people, do I? I don't think I have that. I, I maybe used to be that sort of. Well, that's well, that's food, why I, maybe a little bit. That's why I asked maybe the question food. that like I asked I, about how your interpretation of the TV show of, of Preacher was, mm-hmm. because I saw Don, uh, was it Dominic Monaghan? Yeah, Cooper. Uh, yeah, Cooper. Cooper. Dominic, Dominic, Dominic Cooper. Cooper. Monaghan's one of the hobbits. He's a hobbit. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Dominic Cooper, phenomenal actor, uh, just just amazing, and his interpretation of that character uh, for me was was breathtaking. It was chilling at times, mm-hmm. and so I thought it was a better interpretation of the character than the graphic novel offers right right the graphic novel uh the character of the preacher is um he's just a little too shallow for me mm-hmm. in, uh, would you agree with that i agree the, completely the i agree novel? completely he the, the the graphic novels are dealing with really kind of broad very broad uh metaphysical topics sure uh and but and but he just is kind of floating around in there mm-hmm. he's and i thought dominic cooper just he 
he takes it on full force. He really does. Let's he, get he, into the. He brings kind of a tortured humanity to the character yeah. that I don't think was in the graphic novel. He's got at all. kind of those bulgy, weepy looking eyes. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> he's he's allergic to living. Yeah. So yeah. Like, uh, so so, uh, so here we go talking about geek stuff, and uh, <laughs> which is almost inevitable. Uh, but I, let's go back to Lee George Cade. Yeah. Uh, it's time for cake. Yes. I remember that um, you redoing that bit on an old Radio From Hell cassette tape mm-hmm. that you guys put out. Yeah, we just put it on there uh, from uh, a recording. In the early 90s, like a best of your, your yeah. bits. And I remember the lead it. It's always time for cake. Now, where where do you know where that came from? Absolutely. Okay, because Carrie and I would write those. Uh-huh. And I would play Lee George Cade and he'd play the b- bumpkin. Listen, Mr. Smarty Pants <laughs> Professor, you know, called you all kinds of stuff, but oh, yeah. uh, me as you. So, but where does it t- time for cake come from? Uh, there was there was a, a period of time where uh, your your old alma mater, KJQ in Ogden, uh, and, and I interned up there, and it was during the um, the breakup. Yeah, I'd say right about the time the meteor hit, and uh, mm-hmm. and some of you guys migrated to some of your some yeah. Of your I was go- I was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie was still there, right? And that's when you came into the picture. Yeah, and so I was uh, I was I was doing internship uh, stuff there and trying to learn the ropes because I'd always been pretty fascinated with radio and how that works, and especially production. I love production. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that he ended up going to another station uh, down here in Salt Lake for a while, mm-hmm. and um, I pitched a bit to him, and I did this really affected British voice about this gentleman who uh, takes on just about any uh, any topic that you can call in on or write in on, mm-hmm. whether it's a gang violence or dating advice or what to do with your he own He was an expert on everything. Expert on everything, but especially cake. So he... <laughs> He always uh, he always turned it into a cake recipe, no matter what it was. So it'd be like, uh, uh, "Dear Lee, my my girlfriend Vivian says that I'm not quite giving enough in the sack. What could I do about that?" Well, that's nice of you to write in. I'd say that a triple layered bumped cake would be the solution for you. And that was always that was always the the, the wraparound on that. Perhaps a Boston cream pie. Oh, exactly, exactly. And you guys actually took it kind of blue, which I thought was funny because I I always felt by that, that you mean really dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there were times I was like, I want this guy to be. And by this guy, I mean me, <laughs> which is kind of the weirdest thing for me. Uh, I wanted I wanted him to be uh, a bit of a rube when it came to uh, to intimate issues. So, um, but then you guys took it on and, and you made it actually work. So, why, why didn't now? Did you you did you do a few of them with Carrie on that other station? I think I recorded probably twenty five of them. Oh, really? Over yeah. Where are they? Um, I think I think they're in the ether. So. I'd like to hear them. Yeah. I'd actually like to hear it. And then Carrie and I took it on. I don't know how many we did. You did a few. I, it was funny because I was transitioning out of the state. I think right about mid nineties when you guys were doing that. Oh, I yeah. see. That's what I was wondering is why we didn't just bring you in and have mm. you be the professor and we would help you write stuff. Well, you guys had had your your reconciliation, right? And uh, and you brought the family back together. And I think there was a lot. I think there was a lot of work to do. I mean, I, was, you yeah. know, radio, no one realizes how, how complicated radio is. And that, uh, I did radio for close to a decade. And the part that nobody warned me about was uh, your co-host, your best friend, and your worst enemy all at the same time. Can be. Exactly. So you have somebody that you are uh, intimately aware of 24-7. Uh, this person impacts your job 24-7. Mm-hmm. And when they're on the show clicks and everything's perfect if they're slightly off everything completely backslides into hell and it is literally this uh interpersonal negotiation that's going on all the time and that's with a good show that's with a show that works Uh, if a show doesn't work 
it's it's cataclysmic and it's over in six months. Your first book and you're done. So, so uh, where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. And why did you come to Utah? I was drag kicking and screaming. By, by my, your family? Yeah, when I was about it, 12 years old. And you, oh, you, yeah, that's a bad age to try <laughs> yeah. and re- relocate. Mag- Magnet, we moved from uh, Burbank, California. I could literally see the Warner Brothers water tower from my front yard. My great-grandmother uh, lived in Burbank. When no I was, kidding. When I was a kid, I would go visit her in Burbank, California occasionally. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, my, my great-grandfather was the uh, first battalion fire chief for Burbank. Uh, it was they. The Warner Brothers were tired of the lot burning down, so they took the uh, the the best of the dirt road firemen and the best of the dirt road policemen, and they made a a fire department that supposedly worked for Burbank, but it was really there for the studio. So, so your folks moved here for work. Uh, they were trying to get away from the <laughs> the old established family in California, so they wanted to be their own people, not uh, Freddie Olchvery's grandson and and his kids. You know, so and, and did that work for them? I'd say no. It, it backfired. It backfired horribly. I mean, we moved from Burbank to Magna. That's not good. In 1980. Not good. And I believe Kennecott shut down uh, and laid everybody off in 1981. So oh, did your dad get a job at Kennecott? Or no, he, he went from being a, uh, a fireman and a bartender uh-huh. to uh, being a custodian at, a, at an elementary school. That couldn't have made him very happy. No, no, no. We just you know, My dad's an interesting dude. We just found out that... Uh, he he kept his PTSD from Vietnam pretty much to himself for thirty some odd years, mm. and so those times that uh, that my dad would get really distant, withdrawn. It's it's that he was having a. Is he dealing with that now? He is. That's he good. Is. He just turned seventy, and yeah, and I'd say he's he's doing okay. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think that the the move to uh, to Utah was necessarily the the most cathartic thing for him. But you didn't go back. The family stayed. Yeah, the family stayed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you you essentially from 12 to you you grew up in in Magna? Yeah, I would I would uh, winter here and summer back back home. You got to go back to Burbank in the summer yeah. and you look forward to that and Oh yeah. 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 Do you still go there now and visit family? I, I do. They're all gone. So uh, the the extended family is is uh they've pretty much all moved mm-hmm. either moved on physically <laughs> or <laughs> So, so you've had, I understand you have had a lot of jobs. Yeah. yeah. Graduated from high school in Magna? No, I, I dropped out in my junior year. Why, why did you do that? Because uh, I was butting heads with the education system. I, I, uh, <laughs> I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but no, I No, it does not. Not at all. You, yeah. uh, you know, George... Lee George. <laughs> Do people call you Lee? They just call you Lee. They call they? me Lee. I went by Tom for about 12 years because no one in Utah could. Uh, I mean, it's funny. We have a Welsh subdialect in the Utah language, right? If you hear the Utah accent, it has a Welsh subdialect to it. So you'd think a Welsh name. Like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. I didn't know that. It is, it's a Welsh farm subdialect okay. where we drop our glottal stops, that whole Le- Le- uh, Clinton, Leighton thing. Leighton. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, <laughs> but you'd think a Welsh name with a silent I G H would be easy for people here. Yeah, his it's not L E E. No, it's it's L E I G H. Yeah, silent I G H. Lay, 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 and George and Leg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now so. is your is your name? Uh, do, uh, see, I if I knew you, I would call you Lee George. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great name. It works. Yeah, it's Lee George, Mr. Cade. Yeah, Lee I, George. It's it's uh, uh, the most of the people that know me just call me by my full name, which is interesting because. Well, it's a great. It is a very rhythmic, pleasant name to say. My mom would be so happy to hear that. Lee George Cade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds it sounds important. It sounds, but it has a nice flow to it. It's well, my my son's a Maximilian Tiberius, so we we oh, gave him Lee. Oh, after the emperor. Not Kirk. 
<laughs> okay. All right. You know, the tyrant, Tiberius. Is it, is Tiberius the second. Is it really? That's what I told <laughs> James Tiberius Kirk. Of course. Yeah. Well, there was Ma- a, and Maximilius. Why Maximilius? Uh, Maximilian because, Maximilian. because uh, I wanted him to have emperor's names. So, um, Does just, he like his name? I, he hasn't complained yet. How old is he? He's 22. Oh, well, then, yeah. Okay. yeah. He's lived with it enough. Yeah, he's lived it. with it enough. And people so. just call him Max, I'm sure. Mostly, yeah. yeah. It's uh, a fun name to yell from the back porch, you know. Maximilian Tiberius <laughs> Cade? Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good. Uh, it's, uh, so you drop out of high school, buddy. Mm-hmm. See, now, you say it sounds strange to say that you were butting heads with the educational system when you were a junior uh, uh-huh. or a freshman in high school, but I think as people hear you talk, Mm. They will know. Oh yeah, he'd be a guy who who would butt heads with education. <laughs> it, it started. Uh, there there was a twofold process. The one was that I was uh, I was completely married to my fandom, and uh, I was six foot two, and about two hundred and ten pounds. So um, a strapping lad. Right. The school. Football material. The school said football wrestling. Right. And I said I want to be. I want to draw pictures. I love to draw. I mm-hmm. illustrate. I I sculpt. Um, and uh, the theme to Star Wars has been pounding in my head since 1977. So uh, I was not going to be football material. Mm-hmm. And so I was butting heads against that part of the establishment. And also, uh, I read voraciously. So I'd be in history class. And uh, in the 80s, we had a lot of outdated textbooks. And so I would argue the actual new findings. And so I got sent to the principal's office a lot. They were probably glad that you just left. Oh yeah. In the long run. Yeah. Yeah, that's the funny part. I mean, I, I remember when I when I dropped out our assistant mm-hmm. principal came to our house and said, "Here's your GED information. Go get this stuff." Uh, did don't. you? Yeah, I did yeah. immediately. Yeah. So, went went to college. Um but yeah, the the just just left mm-hmm. school. It wasn't working. Where did, and where'd you go to college? University of Utah. And you studied anthropology. Uh, not real useful in a practical sense. Not at all. Uh, and, and I remember about the uh, first day of my second year, uh, we had an associate professor come in and talk about how he'd been studying prison culture in, in California, mm-hmm. uh, California prisons. A social anthropologist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah now, if, I had, uh, if I'd been smart, if I had uh, looked, looked into a crystal ball, I would have seen that uh, um, forensic anthropology was going to be all the rage yeah. in the late, late 90s. Yeah, right? it, was. it was. And it was because of TV, of course. It's sort of, right, yeah. CSI. Yeah. And you watch a CSI show, and you're going, oh, this is so sexy, right? Yeah, no, it it's is. not. You, but, s- you spend time in a bone lab, you know that there's nothing sexy yeah, about and, it. And, I mean, that really is true. CSI shows, and uh, there was one before those, but they, they that, those procedural shows, I think people who work in forensics and social anthropology and stuff like that will say there are no jobs because everybody decided that's what they wanted right. to do because of TV. And the funny part is, in 1991, they, they had a glut of openings in forensic anthropology because mm-hmm. no one wanted to... You don't you don't realize if you're working on a on a John Doe case, and all you have is a skull, mm-hmm. you have to deflesh that skull, and then you have to rebuild the skull. There's nothing romantic it's about it. It's not fun. No, it's not. Did you have you seen? Uh, by the way, it just made me think. Have you been watching or seeing? I just started into it. The Alienist. I have not. You might want to check that out. Okay. It's early days of forensic anthropology. Essentially, is okay. what this is about. It's about a, a guy who's kind of inventing it. 
And I think he's not a real guy, but I think he's uh, in history. But I think he's based on kind of s- several people and how the how forensic forensic anthropology came mm-hmm. to be. It's, I think you'd love it. It's an absolutely fascinating field. And the funny part was, I, I wasn't in anthropology for that. I was in it for the uh, the, the cultural Cultures. aspect, mm-hmm. religion, comparative religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? And I'm not a religious person, but I find it ever have been. Uh, briefly, I would, I would say I'm like a Jack Buddhist, but Buddhism isn't a religion. It's a philosophy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, For, you know, family not Mormon or no, no, no not practicing religion? Uh, my parents were rabid free-range hippies. So huh. it was, you know, if, if there was a God, if there was a Jesus, they were just cool hippies, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Are they still hippies? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's my my dad is the dude. I mean, this my dude. my kids say, uh, particularly my younger kids. I have old kids and I have young kids, and mm-hmm. my young kids, my my nineteen year old says, you know, you're just a you're just a hippie. Mm-hmm. That's all you are is a hippie. <laughs> there's a certain amount of truth to it. Well, there's a there's a a guy in the punk rock movement in the in the mid eighties, a gentleman named Theron Reed. He's 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 passed on, but yeah, uh, what was his uh, thud thud. Thud. Yeah, yeah, an interesting. Yeah, he's Ichabod Crane essentially. Yeah, that's how what he looked. And a, yeah. and a fascinating kind of sad guy. Right. And I ran but into funny. I ran into him when I was about sixteen, and I was real into the punk rock thing that was going on in the mid eighties, and and he was laughing about uh, what he called the the cute punk rock kids because he'd been in the punk scene in the seventies. I don't think he ever left it. I think he was. Well, he used to call himself the punk rock comedian. Right. Right. And he was a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that uh, all a punk rocker was was a pissed off hippie. And when you when you stop being pissed off, you're just a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. He's he was not right. wrong. <laughs> what was the bar he always used to hang out in? It was across the street here somewhere. Two stories. I always ran into him at DV8, but that's because oh, I was going to, to shows. What's that damn door? There were pool tables downstairs. Oh, uh, Spanky's? Spanky's. Yeah. He hung out at Spanky's a lot. And I remember at when he died... There, there was a little memorial for him at mm-hmm. Junior's, the mm-hmm. small bar downtown. And I went to that. I, somebody invited me. There weren't a lot of people there. There were 15 or 20 people there. But yeah, we just drank some whiskey and beer. And he, he drank. Thud drank a lot. He did drink a lot. And he smoked a lot. Yeah, he did smoke a lot. He but, was a very frustrated actor. I mean, yeah. he's a guy who had the acting chops, I think, that he could have been just about anything because he was mm-hmm. 6'4 and 90 pounds. God, I uh, forgot. I just hadn't thought it. Thanks for bringing him up. I hadn't thought about too. him. And he does have a little cameo role in some movie that you could uh, see. Friday the 13th, part four. That's right. He dragged Jason out of the water, and that scene was supposed to be 20 minutes long, and mm-hmm. they cut it down to him just getting murdered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, as, as a Jason movie should be so so anyway you get you're you're fascinated with the culture you're mm-hmm. an anthropologist you graduate from the university of utah oh, no no i started oh, butting heads with them too oh, of course not. well you okay. spent was it at the university where you did spend some time with dead bodies yeah 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 but long dead bodies mm. as opposed to you know if you're in one freshly of the medical dead? fields yeah no you, so don't. you weren't a serial killer at but freshly dead i have spent plenty of time with you know i've uh, been talking about this lately and i think i'm mm-hmm. going to do it donate my body to the university do it for uh, and that, those are the kind of bodies you were looking at. People who have bequeathed a lot of them bequeathed their bodies to science. Well, strangely enough, the the ones that we were dealing with in in cultural anthropology were mostly in the bone lab. So that would be that would be like Anasazi remains. So you're dealing with oh, people who have been stuff. long, long dead, mm-hmm. and that was more just to study the, uh, the the freshly dead. That was uh, a, a brief stint at the university hospital as a uh, what's lovingly referred to as a messenger, uh, where you run 12 to 14 miles a day. Uh, bringing samples to different parts of the hospital mm. 
and uh, bringing bodies to the morgue. Mm-hmm. So over that six, seven-month stint, uh, I, I must have handled uh, the remains of 100 people or mm. more. Did it, ever, did it ever bother you? Or? The, the, what caused me to leave that job, I mean, it was actually really gratifying because when it worked, when you felt like you were contributing to society and making things better, you would come home and feel like, you know, mm-hmm. that that liter of blood you brought into the ER saved mm-hmm. somebody's life. That feels good. Um, but when you bring a family of three down to the morgue over the course of two hours, uh, two generations, and you kind of go, well, that's that. You know, that's the, the yep. finality of it all, yeah. uh, the the fragility of it all. Uh, they were on their way to the airport, and then they're gone. Yeah, yeah I, I think about that sometimes, too, about – you know, if you're involved in an accident, or I, I got in an accident a couple, a couple of weeks ago on mm-hmm. my on my bike, I fell over and hit my head pretty hard, and I wasn't wearing my helmet like an idiot. Oh, and, you know, and but I thought, man, I could just I could have just bit bought it there. Oh yeah, and I thought, but you know, so the human body can be at certain times extremely strong and resilient, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's out like a, a like a blowing out a candle. It's fragile meat wrapped in an eggshell, and that's weird. uh, Yeah, I I I think, especially when I was a teenager, and uh, I I pretty much decided that I was done with the uh, the the Reagan years and uh, the insecurity that came along with that. Mm -hmm. We had the exchanges between our world leaders, very similar to what's going on right now. Our world leaders are basically uh, dick measuring constantly, Mm -hmm. and uh, although Reagan seemed, for the most part, sane, well, he had kind of a paternal affability to him mm-hmm. where you kind of felt like okay well at least grandpa reagan means well yeah he might be a lunatic too yeah. but he at least seems He's like, trying yeah there, there was a there was a grandfatherliness to yeah him. with with trump you just have no idea from one day to the next what the fuck is that guy doing yeah that's why i, I don't like roller coasters because i'm not in control i feel like this guy's a roller coaster He's, he, he you know what he is He's the host of a television show <laughs> and this is the biggest fucking television show he yeah. has ever hosted yeah. It is the biggest show he, he's ever done. He needs he needs better showrunners. God, I guess. <laughs> so you drop out of the U. Mm-hmm. What next? I mean, so what what do you do to support yourself? How are you supporting yourself at that time and what do you do? I went cuz we're getting to the point where you end up becoming a vegan empresario. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, probably uh, there's there's a gentleman uh Jeff Counts does not believe at all believe that I've held the positions that I've held in my lifetime. Because he, he claims that if I if I had actually had as many jobs as I say that I've had, I would be 148 years well, old. Well, let's talk so. about that. Okay. What, what, talk about the jobs you have had a little bit. Okay. I, uh, I was a, a, a behavioral therapist for children with disabilities and autism. Um, did right. that for about six years. So I, I should put out a, you know, a little disclaimer here. Some of these jobs I only had for a few months, mm-hmm. or it was a part-time job on top of the first job. Because the lesson I did learn here is that if you don't get that, that storied paper that degree, mm-hmm. you're going to work for a lot less money, regardless of... So did you get some kind of a degree where you could be a therapist? No, I, how, I never did. How could you get be a therapist for... Uh, a, behavior, a behavioral therapist. So uh, basically, we would teach life skills to people who were incapable of, of learning life skills. And so you went to some place where they trained you to do that, and yeah, then you did absolutely. It. All right, gotcha. So we learned how to de-escalate behavior and how gotcha. to model life skills mm-hmm. and uh, how to do- how to dodge clocks that were being thrown was at Was it your the head. Children's Center? No, it was not. But it's it was, a, they do that kind of... I've been there mm-hmm. and, and yeah. dealt with that. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was staggering work. And actually, uh, it was a Hard. job that I took on when I needed to learn some valuable lessons about 
your own attitudes towards life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we all walk. That's hard work doing that. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's, again, it's rewarding. But, you know, when you've uh, when you've cleaned up your 15th bowel movement for the day yeah. uh, from a person who's decided that even though they know the skills, that they've elected not to use them. I'll uh, show you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had a one day... Uh, waking up in a swimming pool at Hart Vixen Middle School, I was I was being pulled out of the swimming pool, and uh, the lifeguard was about as white as a sheet of paper. And I, literally, you could tell the guy had just had a, a life changing psychological event. And the middle of the pool was just blood everywhere. And uh, I'm looking around trying to figure out what happened. And uh, he said, "Well, the the person you were working with uh, headbutted you, and knocked you out, and you went down." to the bottom of the pool so uh yeah, that was your blood that was my blood yeah. and it was a lot of blood mm-hmm. and so uh the first thing that popped into my head because of the training is uh where's where's my where's my uh sure where's my charge where's yeah. this person mm-hmm. that i'm supposed to be taking care of and they're running around naked mm-hmm. in the school uh the school lot it's about two feet of snow out there so yeah i did that for six years that's and, not good uh, yeah. yeah so now uh, what else did you what else what other jobs have you held on the way to becoming <laughs> Lee George Cade, vegan empresario. Let's see. Uh, aside from your your stupid rinky-dink jobs like pizza delivery, mm-hmm. sandwich artist, mm-hmm. for lack of better words, yeah. um, I, I ran uh, ran up at the University of Utah. That was uh, was an interesting job. Um, I was HR director for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, went in to get a job. It's it's a chaos field. My mom said it's always been a chaos field. Like I can walk into a room mm-hmm. to get a cashier job, and I'll walk out the director of human resources. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so that I, was I I, okay. I don't that's okay. I don't I don't even I don't I don't think we have time to go into that. No, it's, yeah. uh, and that was uh, that was uh, a job I had no right having. I didn't want it. I mm-hmm. I turned it down. Somebody they, has to do it. And they're like, "No, no, seriously. You you work, you were a manager for these for uh-huh. this uh, behavior science group, so you can you can manage this this gigantic uh, department store. You mm-hmm. can manage the entire HR pool mm-hmm. and and make sure we're in, you know, How long did you do that? I think about five months before I realized I was actually going to cause major problems with the company. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, you really can't learn labor law on the run. No. It's <laughs> it's more complicated than you would ever think. So, yeah, Dylan, Dylan's mother, my ex-wife, has been in HR for 40 years. Yeah, no, and I, I had absolutely no business doing that. So, uh, once I, I had a, a graveyard job delivering newspapers to newspaper delivery boys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that was fun. So, back when newspapers were still a thing. You'd pull up to a dock in a big white van. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, they're still a thing. I get the paper on my porch every fucking day in the New York Times, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You are a gem of a human being. I love the newspapers. <laughs> God damn it! I still, I still read that. I read the New York Times, the digital edition, um, and I read the, that during the week. But I like mm-hmm. the paper. Yeah, the paper's a great thing. And like I said, I actually enjoyed that job. Because you go at midnight and pick up all the newspapers that were going out to all the delivery people. So I would drive uh, Kearns, West Valley, and Tooele and drop those off. Mm. Uh, but Art Bell would be on. and uh, Oh, yeah. Art Bell from uh, Winnemucca. Or nowhere. Harumph, Harumph <laughs> Nevada. <laughs> yeah, there's something that happens. Uh, you know, the part of your basal ganglia that doesn't work well at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and coyotes are howling, and mm. Art Bell's talking about chupacabra. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's see. I was a, a crap stealer for a Native American casino in the Pacific Northwest. All right. Um, See, it was a... uh, Did radio for a period of time. Where where did you do that, mostly? Uh, Radio did that just south of Eugene. So we like to say we're Oregon. Yeah, central Oregon. Mm. So we we like to say that we're in the Eugene market, but really that's kind of like... It's kind of like being in 
I don't know, Spanish Fork and saying you're part of the Salt Lake demographic. I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, but still, it it was uh, it was it was pretty educational. And Kerry Kerry kind of coached me through that one because he had uh, through the work that I'd done with him, I had learned a lot of the a lot of the basics. But so much had changed from 1992 to 2002 yeah, as far a as lot, yeah. yeah, you know the the production manager in that uh, radio station still had the old carts and the, the, the giant electromagnet because mm-hmm. he, he wanted to hold on to that. Bulk those carts. Yeah. Those histories. <laughs> you have to bulk the carts. That yeah. was a, that's your first job on the radio. Bulk the car. I think you bulked carts mm-hmm. for me. When years. I was a little kid. Yeah, when you, you were a little kid. That's the first thing I learned how to do when I was, yeah. when I was interning up at KJQ, mm-hmm. the, the crazy man that was running that station, uh, mm-hmm. a guy named Mario, I think spent all of his time watching pornography in the, in the mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you gotta do the carts. Demagnetize them, erase them is what it is. Bulk them. So 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 many jobs, and you're doing all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I assume to support a family. Absolutely. So you you got married when? Uh, I got married in 1994. And you have kids, Mm -hmm. couple, two kids, two kids, and and uh, so you're doing your. It seems like a kind of a scrabble life. Or was it not? uh, you know we we've always managed to make it, and that. I think would be if if you were to talk to my wife, she's, uh, I, th- I think she's ready for me to stop doing that and mm-hmm. to just kind of settle down and work a job. So mm-hmm. and and that's probably the smartest thing I could do because, let's face it, I I worked uh, I managed the, there's another job I wasn't qualified for. I ended up with, I, I managed the uh, entirety of the overnight shift for uh, a bank and credit card student loan company, <laughs> and did this for six years and. I think I did a fairly decent job mm-hmm. with it, but if I had stuck with that job, the uh, the pay was phenomenal. It really? was absolutely oh, absolutely phenomenal. So, um, and and that's what I I stopped doing to open what was a restaurant and is now uh, something else entirely. You so so you're making good money, mm-hmm. but you decide uh, we're gonna uh, you and your wife because mm-hmm. she works with this too. You're gonna open a vegan restaurant. Because there's so much money in vegan food, right? Yeah. Have uh, you always been vegan? I've I've been vegan probably eight years. I've been vegetarian for probably twenty. And so. and what and is it a a moral um, and ethical decision or a uh, health decision? It started out for me vegetarianism in particular. Uh, I was probably twenty nine, and mm. I had uh, heart palpitations getting off the couch. I weighed about three hundred sixty pounds, mm. and uh, I thought, oh, this this is going to kill me. Uh, my my I was working graveyards as a as a crab stealer at the time, and uh, I would stop at a convenience store on my way into work and get you know chicken fingers and JoJo's and yeah you know the the graveyard diet, mm-hmm. and that was killing me. So I stopped eating meat, and then uh, some 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 of the the teachings in Buddhism about doing no harm kind of resonated with me. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, this is a way that we can do less harm, and it kind of turned into an ethical, moral, sociological. Even I mean, the more you look at it, I mean, a lot, I think a lot of people start with, uh, uh, well, I think there are two two paths to, to vegetarian and veganism. Mm-hmm. One path is, I just can't stand killing these animals right. or eating these animals that have been killed. The it's, compassionate path. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. And the other one is a health reason. Health. And then the third one, and this is more more recent, is the uh, environmental reasons. Right. It's, uh, it's uh, not sustainable for the planet to no, grow food to feed to cows. To well, and you look at the you look at the leaching ponds outside of uh, outside of farms and and realize that the they're pig creating farms and all yeah that. the dead zones that they're creating, and then then you can even get into. 
uh, social political reasons when you realize that uh, a lot of a lot of housing for people uh, people of color that are on a, a lower end of a of a financial spectrum, uh, the housing they can afford ends up being in these mm-hmm. areas yeah. where they're you know drinking water that's been contaminated with pig feces and. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of reasons at the end of the day. So you become vegetarian, then vegan, and mm-hmm. uh, you're working at a, at a loan company, mm-hmm. making pretty good money. Yeah, w- but we're going to open a vegan restaurant. Not only that, we're going to we're going to cash out uh, my entire retirement to do it. <laughs> well, I was going to say where the money comes. From. Uh, the money came from uh, when I started at that particular company uh, was literally the month before what are we calling it now? The Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> The company I was working for, uh, their stock, they had just moved away from uh, J.P. Morgan. And uh, when they were part of J.P. Morgan, their stock was about $60 a share. They moved away from Morgan, and it goes down to $24 a share. The recession hits, and their stock crashes down to $240 a share. Mm-hmm. And they said, here's the thing, guys. We, we need to sell stock. So employees out there, if you buy stock, we'll match the stock you buy. If you buy our stock. If you buy our stock. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and going, you know, you can invest up to 5% of each paycheck into stock, That's a $2.40 pretty... a share. Mm-hmm. And when I left, it was $36 a share. So we just cashed that out. and Did pretty well with that. It did okay. Was a, that was a was an interesting offer from the company and a smart thing to... did. I, I can't imagine that everybody didn't say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I would say just the place, the, the, the they had mm-hmm. six call centers like the one that I worked at here around the country and I'd say probably 80% of the workforce jumped on that yeah, because must. either either we jump in and pitch in and pull, <clears throat> pull the company up or uh, you know we watch the whole mm-hmm. not just the company but probably the economy yeah. uh, crash and burn so, so you so you you open this restaurant in mm-hmm. Salt Lake fresh yeah fresh 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 the german word for fresh yeah so you're completely right what cuz <laughs> i i've always wondered why you didn't just call it fresh uh, my wife is from a, a German family, so uh, and her grandmother would not. I mean, we moved. We we'd been in Oregon for more than a decade, and uh, her grandmother came down with uh, a stage four cancer, and they gave her two weeks to live. So we said, well, this this kind old woman had moved here from Hamburg as a conscientious objector during the Second World War. We're going to come make sure she can die comfortably at home. And so that two weeks lasted nine years. <laughs> And uh, sometimes they, they, they die slowly. Yeah. Well, she was so excited to have people in the house with her again that she yeah. just perked right up. And so we had that that adventure. But one of the things we learned about her, her Oma, was that uh, vegetables were not meant to be cooked until they had been um, boiled to death, uh, boil, <laughs> boiled gray, and then covered in butter. Yeah. So um, we opened a vegan restaurant and thought just as a, a form of petty revenge, we would call it Frisch. In her grandmother's honor, <laughs> and that, and and it was here in Salt Lake, yep. uh, corner of uh, what is that Eighth uh, South? We were on Eighth South and Fifth East. Fifth East, yeah. Uh, I think it had been a was it Rico was in there? It had been Rico's for fifteen years yeah. prior to that, and he yeah. moved out into a little bit bigger operation mm-hmm. or quite a bit bigger operation, very big operation, yeah, and, and has done well for himself. Yes, he has. And uh, you start this restaurant. Uh, vegan. Mm-hmm. There are vegetarian restaurants around town, mm-hmm. and there few. were there were two. There was one or two, actually one. There's Vertical Diner and Sage's Cafe uh, prior to us. No, are, no, they're not. Are they vegan? Completely vegan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I know uh, Ian from, yeah. from there. Ian's a great guy. So you got you got competition, but that's I guess that's okay. I. It's funny because we, especially now, like we closed we closed the actual restaurant in October uh, to focus on another project, and I would say part of the catalyst for that was that there are maybe a dozen other vegan restaurants in town at this point. Oh, are uh, there? This year. 
and the vegan dollar is not as uh, is not as um, all consuming as the vegan community would like to like to think it is. There, there's not as many. Well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. Well, when there were two or three vegan restaurants and say two thousand vegans in Salt Lake Valley. Uh, the vegan dollar could stretch between those three restaurants okay. I see. But then you take, now we've had an explosion in veganism. There are a lot more vegans than there were five, six years ago when we mm-hmm. first opened. But there's also 12 restaurants. And so <laughs> the, the, mm-hmm. the competition for that dollar is, is a, lot more, uh, a lot more ferocious. You did, you did uh, as I understand it, you did pretty well with Frisch, though. I mean, if people found it quickly and and said yeah we like this and st- and came to it a lot we right? did really we did pretty well and i would say uh, you know in our first year we actually looked like we were maybe potentially making a profit and then uh the building we were in was was sold out from underneath us and mm-hmm. so we ended up in a situation where just when we were starting to become slightly profitable we had to move yeah and um we we opened our first restaurant for Probably all said and done, maybe sixty thousand dollars, which is a drop in the bucket compared to most restaurants. Sure. You're, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars to yeah. open a you know top of the line restaurant. But we figured out how to do it with hot plates, so we didn't need a range, we didn't need a hood, we didn't need a grease trap because we don't use grease. We, we maybe use a gallon of olive oil a month. Mm-hmm. So the health department's like, ah, you don't need all that stuff. Huh. So, so we we ended up in a situation where we had to uh, to just uproot everything and start over. And then where did you move to? We're on State Street and Thirteenth South. So, but it's clo- that's not st- it's gone, right? You're done with that. We we closed that up. The shop we still have the storefront, um, and that's basically what happened with that. We we ran the restaurant for five years, and uh, we realized that things were just getting too. Uh, I think it's too, too, unpre- com- too unpredictable too, and too competitive, really. As right. you were laying out that scenario of all those, rest- but so let's get to this. Yeah. So the reason you felt that you could maybe close the restaurant and keep going, uh, you let me let me you, see this. You have done this. It's called, uh, um, well, it's vegan jerky. Yeah, fresh vegan foods, zesty original jerky. What's the uh, what are the other ones there? We have a, a habanero pepper. Uh, it's got a pretty good kick to it, and then kind of a teriyaki sriracha, which the sriracha is barely there. But yeah. if you're sensitive to sriracha, it'll. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's funny because people are really into sriracha. Yeah. They they're they're after that mm-hmm. that heat. It's just not there. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a little after. I actually like the other one that they do. Uh, that's the one the garlic based one. Mm-hmm. That's that. I, 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 but it's still sriracha, I think. Yeah, and we. I, I think that's that the base that I use for the teriyaki because I like I like garlic. Garlic's garlic's one of those things that people dread and they shouldn't because it's fantastic. Now, so now this is nice packaging, and mm-hmm. I think if you go to the Let's Go Eat Show dot com, you'll see a picture of it. Yeah, and Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very nice packaging. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know the label; it looks good. But is this is this something unusual in the vegan world? I, it's not as unusual as I had hoped it would be, okay. but it's 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 not typical. Uh, I, it's a lot of work, and I think that's uh, we've we've had that um, as an illustrator. I had some situations uh, where people said, "Why don't you copyright your illustration?" I was like, "Well, because." Uh, it's a lot of work to steal somebody's art, and I'm not that good, so no one's really going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. It's not like anybody's going back and stealing my Space Elders comics from 1996. So. Those, were, those were good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, uh, job number 47. Those are. Uh, uh, we had a. Do uh, you still? You have still have those? Don't I you? have all the old grid I magazines. Like, I guess we can't. Oh, they were in grid. That's yeah. right. I do, I don't think we can publish them anywhere or release them anywhere because of. I can. 
<laughs> well, maybe we should figure out go. a way that you should yeah. do that. I'll yeah. just scan them and put them up on my blog, and, and I'll, yeah. with the big "come at me, bro." Yeah, because they're they're those were great drawings, as I recall. It was it was a fun little gig. So so uh, so anyway, Foods presents Pepper Jerky. We find your lack of jerky disturbing. Yeah, we threw some Star Wars quotes into all the packaging. Uh, we felt a great different. We felt a great delicious deliciousness in the force, as if millions of soybeans suddenly cried out in a dehydrator and were suddenly silenced. The teriyaki one uh, says, "Now witness the power of this fully op- operational jerky flavor." <laughs> okay, now I'm going to try these, but uh, okay. talk about. Um, there's one thing that I've uh, uh, that I've always wondered about vegetarians and vegans. You do, you seem to want to uh, sometimes, a lot of times, you, and you know where I'm going. Oh, absolutely. Make vegetarian vegan food that looks and acts like meat. Yeah. Well. I, I don't know. I find that kind of like. Disingenuous? <laughs> it's like you're playing a trick. I don't want to be playing of. a trick yeah. on. Sort of. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a page from the missionary playbook on this. All right. Um, if, if you were to show up and start talking about the the uh, you know the temples of Kolob and all this other stuff, you're going to lose your audience immediately. Yeah. Um, but if I say, hey, check this jerky out. It looks like jerky. It feels like jerky. It's mm-hmm. jerky. So um, that that's probably going to get people to try it. Right, so, so it's a gateway drug into veganism. It's a gateway drug. So, and then you know, it's, <laughs> it's funny, an interesting idea. There's this, there's a new uh, fake meat called Beast Burger. I can't eat it. Uh, it it looks like a hamburger. It right. smells like Is a that hamburger. The Impossible Burger. Yeah. It it has a red juice that comes out while you're Beats. cooking it. Yeah. yeah. It right. freaks me out. Like I look at, it, I'm like, I I can't because I have that visceral. Uh-huh. I'm at this point where it's been so long since I've had that that that's not palatable to me. But to me, I might try that and go. Exactly. God, you know, this is yeah. fine. Like my my typical dinner, it's I'm 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 grilling up some tofu. I'm you know that's not a meat analog by no. any means. It's it's tofu. It's soybeans, yeah. right? It's a mm-hmm. uh, it's not a staple crop in the Pacific. Get it open. That's probably I'm one of the ones I. Those. Well, I'm, I may have overcrimped too. So, I, I hand crimp every single one. Of <laughs> so this, uh, these packages of jerky. Uh, how much? How much is a pack of jerky? That's uh, six, seven dollars. So what? What flavor is this one we're going to try? That's right the now? zesty. That's the one that's probably the most like regular jerky. Zesty. Yeah. Okay. So Smells good. Thank you. Let's see. It has pretty good consistency for a jerky. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay told me last night that this is easy to eat. That's his thing. Yeah. Here's the thing with with Jay Whitaker. He is a force of nature, and if you have not, uh, if you've <laughs> not been in the in the in the wake of the cyclone of Jay Whitaker, yeah. you don't realize what's going to happen to you uh, until until it's too late. So Jay grabs a thing of this jerky and he starts munching on it. He's, and he gets into it and he's well, like, "This is good." And he says, "Thank you." And he says, "It's easy to eat." Next thing I know, that's my motto. I have no choice. Yeah, it's easy to eat. It's easy so to that's, eat. That's why. So he's proud of it. And oh, he's so proud of it. Zesty original. It's easy to eat. Exactly. Okay. So now yeah. I have people coming into my shop and it's like, hey, I hear it's easy to eat. I'm like, thanks, Jay. So this is the um, this is the peppered. Yep, that's uh, that's a roasted habanero that, that, base. That original is pretty pretty spicy. It's I mean, got some heat to it. It's just on the edge for me. It's. I think I like it. I know Carrie Jackson would not eat that. He's He'd had take, it. He'd take a bite of it and go, but he'd go, no, this is no, too spicy no, for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and beer, spicy well, food. This has a good amount of spice. Yeah, this that's is perfect. It's like grill habaneros for that. It's not so hot that you just go, ah, it burns, but mm-hmm. it has, you can taste the spice this is in the it. Peppered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pepper. You should have had some water, though. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, this one, uh, the zesty original, we do with uh, a pineapple. Uh, barbecue sauce that I used to make at the restaurant, so I just adapted it with some pepper and salt to be a marinade for the hmm. for the uh, pineapple jerky. How and do you get it to be this this consistency? Uh, I've got a bank of dehydrators, and so uh, these are a textured soybean mm-hmm. is the base from that. We get them from a non-GMO farm in the middle of middle of nowhere, Oregon, mm. and they ship you know sixty pounds every couple of weeks to us, and we go to town with it. So. Um, Here's try a. This is the teriyaki sriracha. I would, now I gotta say, mm-hmm. as as with most, I think vegan and vegetarian products that I've ever tried, that try to imitate meat somehow, mm-hmm. they they don't quite do it. Really, no, they really don't. You're, I mean, to be honest, they don't quite do it. No, but if it tastes good, it is good. Right. So, I mean, you put this down in front of me, uh, you know, just a piece of jerky and this, uh, I would say this is not jerky and that is jerky. Mm-hmm. But I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is good and it's it's probably way better for you. Uh, the things that matter to me, like uh, I do have heart disease in my family. There's no cholesterol because it's plant sourced. So mm-hmm. there's no there's no uh, animal cholesterol in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, one bag of this is 21 grams of protein. So... Uh, yeah, you can you can definitely refuel after. Mm-hmm. Carrie was telling me some bullshit about protein that you have to go through to get to sell your jerky in Canada. Yeah, oh yeah, that's uh, that's my my most recent nightmare. I've got two things on the on the well three four nine things on the <laughs> on the burner right now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was ten, but the Park Silly application went through, so we got that taken care right. of. So we'll be in Park City this summer. That's great. Uh, still waiting on Farmers Market. We'll figure out that one. Um, we've got the guy, uh, Ari Fleischman, I think his last name's Fleischman, the, the man who played Jason Voorhees in the very first Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> Fleischman, Fleischer, Fleischer. Yeah, I, I think know. it's Fleischer. Okay. Uh, Ari got a hold of us. Uh, he wants us to do a ghost pepper jerky for him. Uh, he has a company that, uh, since he's a, a vegan and, mm-hmm. and he does the horror, the horror uh, circuit. All the, uh, the cons. The and cons and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he sells a hot sauce. Uh, he liked our jerky and wanted us to do that. So we're doing uh, the, the first Jason's uh, slasher jerky with him, uh-huh. and that's pretty exciting. And then uh, with with Canada, Canada, I believe, is one of the top regulated countries on the planet when it comes to food. Yeah, or France is, I mean, really France and bad, Germany are yeah. really high up there. Oh. So we have no problem here. In the United States, uh, the, the Department of Ag, they're like, okay, well, you 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 have a clean kitchen. You've mm-hmm. got your. Uh, we don't even actually need to have the nutritional information on the bags because we have to sell, I think, a hundred thousand units of each flavor a year in order for that Before to kick you in. Have to do it. Yeah. So we just. So put did it the on. Department of Agriculture actually send somebody, a, a representative, the county agent, Hank Kimball, the county agent, came <laughs> to your your place? Yeah, you have to be inspected to to do any kind of food yeah. service. So um, that's that's a uh, that's a given. But with Canada. Hmm. Something's going on yeah. where they say you have to have the uh, the nutritional equivalency of whatever it is that you're simulating. I see. Yeah. So here's where you get into some ridiculous bullshit. Um, I think the, the the paranoiac in me is saying that it has something to do with the fact that the uh, the beef lobby in Canada is, no, is quite powerful. No, I'm sure yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. So. I have to uh, supplement my jerky with something like uh, point 
0.026 micrograms of folic acid per serving. And that was that increase the protein somehow? That's or? just the folic acid because they want it to be the equivalent of beef. Protein I need to increase by five grams oh, of I protein see. per serving. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in contact with it's it's one of my favorite things to say. I actually have a team of scientists working on a formula for me. Um, to, to get it's badass it is it's fun to say i mean it's yeah. it's it's even more fun than saying it's easy to eat you know say <laughs> well, i get off uh, mr cade we still haven't quite found the how to decrease them but we're working on we're it. up to 4.5 percent her name's jessica and she doesn't sound oh, like well, that okay. <laughs> <laughs> she says things that make my head swim a little Lee, bit this so. is really good thank you yeah this is uh this is it's know, excellent i think i like i like the pepper the best i think i think this is good. gonna this this is uh, so talk about the sales. Is mm-hmm. it is it, it, it's going well? It depends on the week, man. Uh, when we first started, and this is this kind of goes to a, a an overall uh, blanket statement about our, our ventures in in vegan business or entrepreneurialhood. Um, we have in Salt Lake City more establishments catering to a very small part of the population mm-hmm. per capita than any other city in this country. So we have. In Portland, there are, are tons of vegan restaurants, but it's a much denser population, right? So here, what do we have? One and a half million people in this valley? Yeah, about. There's 12 restaurants that cater to maybe 10% of that population. That's pretty phenomenal. Of the 2,460 restaurants in the Salt Lake but Valley. nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing that. And there's three other companies in the country doing this. One of them is a huge, huge juggernaut. They started it about five years ago, and... Uh, they are the reason why I can't get into stores nationally because they're like, well, we have, even though there's 55,000 meat jerky companies, right. three vegan jerky companies seems to be too much. But huh. um, we we have a distributor on the East Coast that that buys a certain volume. Uh, other than that, I'd say the the only reason why I'm even in business anymore is is because the the geek show community is really very supportive and always has been. So. This you you, there's got to be a way, and I'm not I'm, that you can crack the nut of getting this dis, distri, distributed, mm-hmm. distributed, distributed. There you go. Thank you. Distribution He's is jerky drunk. <laughs> distribution's a, a a very complicated beast, and it's something that I naively threw myself at and realized that um, it's not something you can just start knocking on doors and 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 calling offices over they uh say for instance you want to get into Harmons mm-hmm. here Harmons is a big company for utah not a big company nationally no. but in order to get in with Harmons, you have to go through an actual distributor uh distributor takes a cut so you just uh the store takes a cut the distributor takes a cut next oh. thing you know you're you're maybe you go from you know if you buy this from my store for six dollars uh, it costs me X number of dollars. The rest is profit. Mm-hmm. If I go through a distributor, it's X number of dollars plus their dollar plus Harmon's three dollars. So, is it not worth doing? It is worth doing. I think anything anything that you have a passion for is worth doing. No, I mean so. uh, going through the, the because I know Harmon's, for instance, Laziz Kitchen. Yeah, you know they're selling their uh, mahumara and their uh, hummus there. Yeah, and and Derek and Moody did an amazing job of marketing, and I think that they did it. They're much smarter men than I am, and uh, I, I would say in particular they did uh, what I should have started with is uh, the farmer's market. So um, That's what re- – uh, what his, his name isn't Rico. What's Jorge. Jorge. Jorge Fierro. Yeah. That's what he says. So a farmer's market is why I'm 
who and, I am yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, he's, he's got a he's got a good head for business, and uh, and he takes care of his customers. So those things come around pretty well for you too. Um, we've we've applied for both the Salt Lake Farmers Market and then the the market in Park City, mm-hmm. and that worked out. The Park City part, so we're we're still working on the other, um, and that will be a game changer for us. Uh, in the meantime, it's a matter of of continuing to to move forward uh, because Harmons want a distributor. They want a distributor agreement. Yeah. They want somebody that's going to be able to uh, to carry that volume for them. Whereas I'm saying I can do two thousand bags a week easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the the means. Um, but I need to get it into someone's mouth first. <laughs> so the only way to do that is really by being present, being at shows. So yeah, and yeah. and uh, I just I think it'll happen. I really think it will happen because this is a good product. Mm-hmm. Um, for, and so if people want to go buy it right now, what? How mm-hmm. do they do that? Uh, they can either stop by our shop. Uh, Where is that? That's we call it the Vegan Agenda, which in itself is a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we we're on thirteen hundred South and uh, State Street, Suite two hundred one. Uh, we don't have much signage because we want it to be a secret, mm-hmm. um, and also sure. because signs are expensive. Yeah, <laughs> um, I but think, yeah, we're, I think we're it's right. mainly because signs are expensive. Well, they're very expensive. Yeah. I mean, one channel letter sign is three thousand dollars. That's yeah. it's not money I want to spend. So you can go, just stop in there and get it. Stop in there, or you can uh, you can order online. We're Fresh Vegan Foods on Etsy, um, or. Even just our our website, we'll we'll take care of it. Or shoot me an email, and I'll send you pricing. So F R I S C H, absolutely fresh vegan foods. How many um, how many flavors are are those? The three flavors you do? Three. We just launched a smoky maple, but uh, the food scientist in me has to go back and and yell at the marketer in me for launching <laughs> the product too soon. Um, there's a funny thing that happens with sugar when you heat it up. If you've ever if you've yeah. ever spun sugar or pulled taffy or any of those things. Mm-hmm. If when it's right out of the oven, it's really pliable. It becomes caramel, right? And so the 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 maple jerky, it's got a really strong maple flavor. A little bit of smokiness comes into it. No heat whatsoever. But I have to pull it about 10, 15 minutes earlier than any of the other flavors because the sugar in the maple literally crystallizes right. the, mm-hmm. the jerky. So, but there's that, and then there's the uh, the super hot flavor that we'll be coming out with for for Ari. We'll be doing our own packaging. For, for local sales, and then he's going to be doing his packaging for shows. So. Pepper, I don't, I don't, I won't go there. Uh, I did that no. once, and I won't go there again. I, I have a, uh, I have a powder that I picked up from somebody on the East Coast, and they've, they've managed to keep it so that the capsaicin is still very high. So you get that. This is the, a ghost pepper. The ghost powder. pepper powder, mm-hmm. but it's more the flavor, and that's what I'm after. As a matter of fact, I have a farmer's market <laughs> beef jerky with ghost pepper story. Yeah. Uh, I forget, it was I don't even know if they're still around, but it's the little uh, uh, jerky ma- maker here in Salt Lake. I think it was called Terrapin, and they are they were in the parking lot of uh, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the name they made uh, they had this beef jerky, and they were at the farmers market all the time. And uh, I like beef jerky, so I stop and I and I bought some, you know, just regular teriyaki or something. It was quite good. Uh, and then I went by there again to buy some more, and they said, "Oh, you, yeah, we here, here. This, you want to try a sample of our new? I think it was ghost pepper jerky. Right. Try a sample of this." And I said, "Sure." So I, you know, it's a small stick, and I bite a big piece of it off and chew it up, and I go, "That's pretty hot." And I eat another big piece of it, and and I said, "Boy, it's pretty. <laughs> that is pretty hot, man. I don't. I think it's too hot for me." Mm-hmm. And the inside of my mouth is kind of burning. And and my wife and I start walking away, and I start going, "I, I can't. I'm dizzy. I can't." And then my stomach started to get sick, mm-hmm. and my eyes started to just water. 
and and uh, we're trying to get to the car, and I'm going, I don't think I can make it. I'm going to faint. I mean, really, things were spinning. Jesus, I was like I had been given a a, a, a Mickey, a, a knockout drug, a roofie. Well, it's, it's it's up there with scorpion venom. And I ended up, I got to the car, and I couldn't hold it in any longer. And I'm at the side of the car, kneeling into the gutter, throwing up, My with God. people walking by, going, "Isn't that Bill Allred?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shitting you. Somebody walked by. I went, "Hey, Bill, isn't that Bill Allred?" Yep. And I'm in there, and I'm just, my face. Is, <laughs> Oh. And I thought I was going to die, but when I when it came out, even more burning and bile. yeah, but yeah. and then and then I went home and it came and it came out the other end burning. Oh, you know, but it, but when I finally threw it up, I got. I mean, I was almost at the point where my wife said I was just about to call nine one one. Oh wow, shit, ghost yeah. pepper jerky. Now I'm 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 oh. I'm going nowhere near that heat wise. I'm I'm adding maybe a teaspoon of this powder to a batch. Not not to a bag, to a batch. I, I do batches, uh, 15 bags at a time. So we produce, um, geez, anywhere from 50 to 200 bags a day, depending on what our sales volume is. Mm. And uh, it's about a three to six hour process, depending. So yeah. you're doing this, is, is this just you and your wife? <clears throat> Pretty much. Doing the packaging and yeah. the ma- making and the packaging? And- yeah, we had, we had a few more people working for us. Um, when we were a restaurant, my son was working for us, and and he was a he was a pretty hard worker, but the sales volume just wasn't there. So, mm-hmm. hardest thing in the world is firing your kid, you know, yeah. l- letting him go. It's it's uh you, you feel like a failure about seven ways to Sunday. <laughs> um, but uh, we're we're looking at, you know, if if the if the situation with Canada does work out, I I got my batch my my test batch from the lab, which is also a really cool thing to be able to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our lab samples are back. Um, so we'll be doing a test batch to make sure that it doesn't taste horrible because that's the, the last hurdle. And mm-hmm. if that actually works, we could be looking at, I mean, we, we would be the only vegan jerky in Canada. And and you could dis, dis, distribute. Why do I distribute? have to, <clears throat> Distribute. I don't, I don't know why I have so hard, hard time with that Raise word. your arms up. You could distribute that in Canada. We have a company in Canada that contacted us and told us what the, what the issue was. I uh, see. And they, That's a big deal. It is. It is. And the other company, the big company here in the States, they looked at it and they looked at the hurdle involved and they said, no. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> you're, you're not that big of a, of a market share. And to us, that's a huge market share. We'd be dealing with, you know, two, 3,000 bags a week produced just for the Canadian market, um, which could be pretty monumental for us. Um, I like this. I, I just, I hope, I, I can't see... I guess I mean I guess there are plenty of fine products who just didn't find their way in the world. Exactly, good products, but but I just can't imagine that this. I mean, it is that it is very good. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that it won't. And uh, now I've never eaten any other vegan jerky, and there are three companies. I I guess it would be interesting to try compare them. But we we've noticed the the one that we get the comparison to the most because we use the same base product. Uh, it's Louisville, and you know, great company. Good people. We're actually uh, we're actually fairly friendly with them, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird to be able to say about your competitors. But mm-hmm. uh, theirs is a little softer, a little moister. Yeah, um, no, I don't want that. No, nope. and and that I think ended up being um, you you end up fighting with things that you don't even think about when when you're doing uh, prepackaged foods. So you know, what's your shelf life, right? We we we've tested it, and it's an informal test. We know mm-hmm. that it's good for between four and six months, um, but every once in a while you might get a, a a mold strain that gets into a bag somehow. Oh, really? Yeah, and your bag turns green a month later, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, how is it that one bag went green and everything else is fine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, 
And you deal with that with any kind of food packaging. It's, How do you suggest storing this? Just at room, in room I keep temperature? it at room temperature. Not in the refrigerator no. or anything like that? No, you want to keep it away. I mean, uh, like if you have a pantry, just put it in the pantry. Um, most people who actually buy it need it. They, they don't have to store it. It's, no, it's, it's going to be gone. It's gone. Yeah, it's going to be gone. We put a, what's lovingly referred to as an oxygen scrubber in there to, to suck the oxygen oh, those out. little packets? Yeah. And then I put a little put, a tiny tiny spritz of potassium sorbate in there to kind of knock out the potential of, of mold growth. But This is great. I am Thank really... You. I'm really. You should be very proud of this, and I think you are. I am. I am. It's uh, well. It's it's one of those things of industry. I mean, uh, maybe one of the reasons why Utah did resonate with me is that the local culture is so big on on industry uh, and not by it's not the industrial state industry, right? Um, those things that you make with your own hands that other people appreciate, uh, and if you can pay your bills with that, that's that's actually one of the most rewarding things you can do. I mean, uh, you you make a living just by the power of your voice and and. Uh, and your opinion resonates with people, and so that's something you can say I at the hope. end of the day. Yeah, I hope well, so. But it's funny because we were talking about this today. Of, uh, uh, I was saying if I had a lot of time off, I'd like to make a chair or yeah. like a table because there's something about, like you said, making something tangible. Sometimes in this job, you do a podcast, you do a radio show. There's nothing. You there. release a video, and yeah. there's you can't. There's no product there. Oh, we're we're two we're two months shy of ten years with Geek Show. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and we're looking at that and going, you know, for yeah. one, uh, a, a company deleted almost our entire archive. That's right. that's fun. Uh, but yeah, what do we what do we have to show with that other than people yelling? Geek Show says, "Hey, at us when we get out of our cars at three in the morning." At the you know, I you, guess that's tangible though. I mean, it, it's, it can scare you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have. I don't think a day goes by that somebody doesn't stop me. On the street right. or in the store or something, and say, "Oh, hey, you know," and they, you know they're always very nice. And I guess that's a tangible product in a way. Sure, but, but it's also not, you know, there's just I something about this. making a thing. Yeah. You made this jerky. Well, right one of the there. one of the things on my on my list as a um, one of my favorite comics that I've seen in the last couple of weeks is this: this demon shows up and tells this scared little cartoon character, "Shake your money maker." And so the cartoon character pulls out her art degree and shakes it, and the demon <laughs> the demon yells "ha ha ha" and rips it up. And uh, I, so you know, I I, yep. I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to publish comics. I wanted to do all these things, and so that was a, that was a thing about a year ago. I published a coloring book just a, of monsters with mm-hmm. goofy little stories that you drew that I drew, mm-hmm. and I just self published it because we live in that age now mm-hmm. where you can do that. Yeah. And uh, that's one of those things where I could say tangibly it didn't sell. I don't care if it's sold. I did it. It's done. Yeah, you know, good. So, <laughs> this uh, this is another story. I kind of yeah. need to make the mortgage payment. <laughs> so so yeah. One more time. Let's do yeah. all the places we can buy it. Where can people get this jerky? And I'm telling you, whether you're vegan or not, or vegetarian or not, you'll like this. And it's a um, it's a snack that you don't have to feel shitty about eating. Not really. I it's it's uh it's not going to fill you up. I know uh, a couple of our more enthusiastic uh i think we have maybe five or six fit people that listen to geek show um they're they're into it because it is a pretty good protein boost after a workout mm-hmm. um but here locally you can get it at uh, vegan agenda because we want to push our vegan agenda mm-hmm. um, we're on 13 south and state street i know watchtower cafe here in salt lake mm-hmm. they carry it for us and uh, jade markets both the jade markets oh locations. the jade markets yeah. have it okay yeah so mary and her crew have it um but you'd have to if you're going to the uh, Central Ninth store, you'd have to fight with Brian Young because he's always there 
Eating it. Eating it, yeah. yeah. Buying it up. He's a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> and then online, you can find it online. Uh, yeah, Etsy's probably the best bet. And I'd say uh, on Etsy, just look for fresh vegan foods or even vegan jerky. We're going to be the first thing that pops up. So, because it's, it's like I said earlier, it's not something that's easy to do. So, it's not something that a lot of people are going to be emulating. Um, this is uh, great. Uh, Lee George, it, it's been um, uh, nice to get to know you better. Thank you, sir. It's um, nice talking with you, you. Yeah, you've kind of been. I guess you've kind of been in my life in the background here and there, sometimes when I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah, we were we were always there. We were like the uh, mm-hmm. the secret service uh, in a way. He was in your annoying. bedroom last night. You weren't aware. <laughs> well, sometimes no. he just sneaks Watching. in Tuesdays in the background. So. Oh, we used to. I, I used to uh, when when my friend Shannon and you've known Shannon since the dawn of time, the amazing sewer boy. Yeah, you know, when he would call in and do that, I would call in under the name Captain Magna on your show and. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. So that's that was my one year out of high school. Can you believe that we're doing that again? Call-ins from check-ins. Oh yeah. geez. Yeah, we do it at uh, six about six ten in the morning. So when you're bringing bits back, <laughs> we're, we're not. I'm trying. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about radio, though, right? Is, yep. is you get. Uh, I think it's coming full circle again. I've, I've been listening to uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. I don't know if you've. I have to that. heard. I think I. It's been around for a while, and somebody told me yeah. that. I think I listened to one or two of them. The Thrilling Adventure Hour is is serial adventure stories yeah. as a podcast. And you've got Paget Brewster and all these fantastic voice actors, and they're doing these really fun, serialized stories. I'm like, it's gone full circle. We're back to serialized radio adventures. Mm-hmm. And so now you're doing check-ins. I think I should listen to the, that, that again because, you know, my dream job really – would have been to be a, a, a voice actor in radio plays sure. back in the you know forties, thirties, forties, fifties around in mm-hmm. there. You know when they had all the, the, the there was no TV and they had all of the radio dramas and ser- and I just would have loved to have been a voice actor. There there are um, there are some phenomenal shows mm-hmm. that are being done right now where they're doing uh, fully acted radio radio dramas radio yeah. serials. Uh, there's another one uh, called Alice Isn't Dead. Uh, I, ha- I listen to that. I love that show. Mm-hmm. And it's just so well produced and mm-hmm. so well acted and uh, very well written. And uh, it's. And of course, what's the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the the really famous one? Oh, Welcome to Night Vale. Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. yeah. We saw the live show here uh, How about was a it? year ago. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, any, anybody who's ever had to, to run a show and to, to have to, to get all those plates spinning at the same time. And then yeah. you see a. A live performance with five stage actors going, and mm. and uh, and you realize they're recording, and mm. it's it's breathtaking. Yeah. It really is. Uh, listen, we should wrap this up, and then I'll ask you when we're done with this. I want to ask you a couple of questions about uh, Welcome to Night Vale, okay. and and where we should go to eat vegan food. But I, I don't I don't think I want to do that on, on the podcast. I will I will tell you one place. Okay. That you should go to, okay. because uh, this doesn't hit vegans or vegetarians. This hits with people who are lactose intolerant, which is a huge portion of our of our society. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a place just across the street in the Gallivan Center uh, called uh, Monkey Wrench, and it's a vegan ice cream parlor. Mm, cool. It's right there on Gallivan Avenue, and uh, they they have probably 25 flavors. They make it themselves. They churn it themselves. And uh, if you have a hard time with lactose or milk, you miss ice cream. Mm-hmm. That's your place. I think isn't there a place. Right up the street, too, that makes vegan cupcakes or... Donuts. Donuts. Vegan donuts. Yeah, Big O. They, right, they, yeah, it's just they right just, up, th- they, up Broadway here. Yeah, they just moved. They're they're oh. next door to my house, oh. which is great. That's it's, unfortunate, probably. Well, that's a good part of this. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 those, those are good donuts. They sent some over to us. Yeah, they're fantastic. Big O donuts. And, and good people. Monkey Wrench. I remember that because uh, uh, my wife, Mrs. Bill, mm-hmm. uh, is 
kind of lactose intolerant. I mean, she can't. She stopped eating ice cream and drinking milk because it upsets her. They do a, a my 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 vice is uh, chocolate peanut butter ice cream, and they right. do they do this dark chocolate peanut butter ice cream and uh, fudge ripple. All those old flavors. can they call it ice cream? Yeah, absolutely. What? All right. Absolutely. Just like I can call this jerky. Except in Canada. I can't. <laughs> you can't call it jerky even? Nope. I think, I, think I, I think I might be able to call it jerky with the fortification. Other than that, it was uh, fresh vegan food, zesty original uh, soybean strips is what they wanted. Soybean strips. Yeah, that, that sounds that really... That doesn't sound appetizing. It sounds sexy though, right? Like, I really want to put no. this snack no. in my mouth. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> no. Hey, give me another soybean strip. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, yeah. I'll put some more on the grill. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lee George, thanks so much for being here I on the show. Pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Uh, and much success. It's great I, talking to you. From from your mouth to their ears. Whoever they are. Whoever they are. All right, that's it for the uh, Let's Go Eat show. Make sure you get some of this uh, fresh vegan jerky. Look for it on Etsy, Vegan Jerky. You'll like it. I promise whether you're vegan or not, it's good. Uh, That's it. Thanks, Dylan, for producing. Uh I'm Bill Allred. That's the end of this episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. Remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network.